Rock Podcast, talking all things Disney, with your hosts, L. John Goh and Dave Bossert. Welcome back to the program. Al John Goh here, and I am just so delighted to be here talking with Dave. Every single week, we bring you the best when it comes to just books, Marvel, Disney, pop culture, and so much more. We're going to be talking about books, especially today. Uh, you can always email me at aljohn at skullrockpodcast.com. And I'm Dave Bossard, artist, filmmaker, author, and welcome to our podcast. If you love Disney and pop culture, please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform, as well as like us and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, you can also email me at Dave at SkullRockPodcast.com. And boy, uh, it's another week and I can't believe Thanksgiving is around the corner and then the holidays. I yeah. think everybody's waiting for 2020 to end. Yeah. Hopefully <laughs> so, Al John. No uh, kidding. But uh, we've got to give a shout out to our supporters, uh, Lindsay S. and Charles A. Thank That's you right. very much. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, don't forget, you could also support the show uh, because it's made possible by listeners like you at anchor.fm forward slash Skull Rock Podcast. And before we head into the news and our interview, which is going to be amazing, uh, do you want to tell everybody a little tease about who we're talking to today? Well, we've we've got the incredibly talented artist, Academy Award winning filmmaker, author, teacher, historian, just Renaissance man, John Canemaker is going to be joining us shortly. Um, so I'm excited about that. He's an old friend of mine and uh, we're going to chat with him about books, all the different types of animation books out there. And we're going to stroll down memory lane with some, some uh, stories and uh, whatnot. Uh, but I'm excited about that. Man. So prolific, you know, when you have your friends come on and, and talk shop and definitely talk about the books because, I am an aspiring, or I had been when I was growing up, I, I may have mentioned this on the first episode, uh, an aspiring animator wanted to go into penciling uh, either for Disney or even Marvel. One of my favorite books that I, I, I love and had got me into drawing was How to Draw the Marvel Way. Um, is that the one by Stan Lee? Yeah. So Stan yes, Lee had I done a, a copy of that. On yeah. My bookshelf so I do too, but my brother stole it. So he still <laughs> has it and he displays it on his desk. And I'm like, bro, when are you going to give that book back? That is my uh, book. We got to put a bolo out. I know. <laughs> but um, that book is amazing. And um, anyway, I, I'm going to recommend that book. Uh, that's one of my favorite books, just how to draw the Marvel way. And um I love that book. And I know you've got a couple of things to talk about in your, in your recommendations about books. And we can talk about that after our interview. But um, I also want to say happy birthday to Mickey mouse. Yes. The it mouse was Mickey's, turned, yeah. Mickey's birthday, you know, uh, he's uh, uh, 92 years old, oh, man. I mean, it's hard to believe. Absolutely hard to believe. But um, do you have a favorite, uh, era of of mickey 
spooky. I have a feeling I know what you're going to say, <laughs> but in terms of the animated animation style, because the more modern style that we know now from the Mickey shorts today, as we yeah. record this show is a little bit different than the, maybe the Wayne Allwine, um, you know, era yeah. uh, versus the classic Mickey's twenties, thirties era Mickey. So do you have a particular era that you like? You know, I, I really like the very early black and white Mickey cartoons. Uh, and, and part of the reason for that is, is that it really displays Mickey's real personality. Mm. You know, he, he was a bit of a bad boy, yeah. uh, you know, drinking, smoking, howling at Minnie, you know. And, I love it. Uh, and just getting into, uh, uh, you know, mischief. Uh, and and as the years rolled on, he, he kind of softened a little bit into that, you know, uh, sort of corporate icon, if you will. The O shucks Mickey. I, I, yeah, but I, you know, look, I say the black and white cartoons, and I do love those black and those early black and white cartoons because they're they're just pure animation, pure fun. Um, but I also really like uh, the Fred Moore redesign of Mickey that was done for Sorcerer's Apprentice yeah. because he's such a dimensional, articulated character. It's just beautifully, when he's drawn that way, it's it's just the sweet spot for me of yeah. the color Mickeys, you know? So yeah. so there's there's my answer. It's, okay. it's, it's the black and white early ones and that that beautiful sweet spot of Sorcerer's Apprentice. Right on. And uh, you nailed it for me as well. It's great. It, uh, you know, I like pie-eyed Mickey um, just because of the classics. You know, if I was to get a Mickey Mouse watch, that would be the Mickey that is on my watch. And uh, yeah. absolutely. And by the way, how to draw comics the Marvel way, Stan Lee and John Buscema. John really did most of the work. Stan was kind of like the man, the figurehead. Of, but John Buscema, uh, wonderful artist, um, did a lot of um, did a lot of great Marvel comic artwork that I grew up with in the eighties. And so definitely uh, give that book a shout. But uh, anyway, we do have some awesome news and pop culture. Skull rock podcast ripped from the headlines. It's skull rock podcast headline news. And where do we start Dave? There's so much to talk about. Let's well, first. You, you uh, know yeah. I, I saw this one headline and yeah. I sent it to you yeah. earlier in the week. It says Disney must pay. Oh, man. Writer Alan Dean Foster says company owes him big. And you know what caught my eye on this story, mm -hmm. Al John, is that this is so typical of the creative professionals world. These are the six people yeah. you'll find it. Sorry. <laughs> My, you're right. Yes. Typical of the creative creative types. Yes. It, it really is because, you know, uh, they're the, it, it's creative professionals who are, are making all of this content, whether it's writing books or, you know, scripts or visuals or whatever it is that they're creating, uh, there's always somebody that's not valuing them the way they should be. There's always somebody trying to rip them off and pay them as little as possible. And I got to tell you, uh, you know, one of the books that I'm reading right now is called The Death of the Artist, How Creators yeah. Are Struggling to Survive in the Age of Billionaires and Big Tech. Yes. You know, and this is, this is a new book that's come out. 
And and I have to tell you, it, it's a bit of an eye opener. And anybody who's in the creative profession should get a, get their hands on a copy of that book and 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 read it. You know, but yeah. but this guy, this this author, um, Alan Dean Foster, is you know going at it with Disney to get uh, get paid his royalties uh, for a number of books that he's he's done with the company. And you know, unfortunately, these disputes pop up from time to time because it's more common than most people think. Right. And to your point, if you read um, one of the books I had finished a couple months ago, which was, um, I think it was the, 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 the true behind the scenes at Marvel, something like that. I'll put it in the show notes, but they were also talking how the creative people behind some of these uh, legacy characters had not been getting paid either. And there's a reason why I think initially when they had, it, when, and I can speak on this for Marvel, but when they had gotten yeah. hired on, they were doing works for hire. So a lot of those original artists um, didn't get paid. You know, the King of comics, Jack Kirby didn't get paid because he created all those under the umbrella of working for Marvel and some of the same thing could be said, you know, maybe for, for star Wars as well, but I don't know the particulars of this gentleman's contract with Alan Dean Foster and who knows, Um, you know, all I know is, is that uh, surely hopefully they'll be able to work it out because the art, the artist does deserve, I I feel that they deserve some compensation for uh, lining the coffers for, for big, you know, these big uh, companies, you know, absolutely without question. You know, the other thing that struck me this week that uh, I think we're going to touch on here is uh, the shorter theatrical window. And for our audience, uh, uh, that means that from the time a movie got released to the theaters and to the time that you would see it on, say, uh, pay television or a streamer, there was always a certain window there. And I think I can remember when it used to be like 120 days or, like or a year months, or longer or than six, a year, six months or a year. Yeah. So the, the, the movie would run through the theaters, you know, nationally and, and, and worldwide. Uh, and then it might show up on HBO, you know, a year later. Yeah. Uh, but now, uh, and then, and then, with the advent of uh, VHS and CDs and Blu-rays, you know, it might be you know six to nine months after the movie made its run through the theaters that it would then come out on on, on DVD or Blu-ray. And uh, now the window seems to be getting even shorter because they made the announcement with Wonder World 1984 for this Christmas. It's going to release. On Christmas Day to the theaters, mm-hmm. whatever theaters are open right, right now. Right. And uh, it's also going to be playing on HBO Max simultaneously yeah. for free for a month. So I think that's really interesting. And I do think that this pandemic has completely changed um, how movies are going to be consumed. They're all in, Dave. I mean, here we are. They've waited and waited to try to get the the movie theaters opened back up. They know that they're not going to be able to cash in on their investment. They need they need to strike while the marketing is still hot for this film before it dies. 
I would think. And that goes for Marvel too. So Wonder Woman, I mean, I think it's, I think they need to do it, you know? And that's unfortunate that uh, at least they're going to simultaneously release it in, in whatever theaters are open as well as HBO max, but you have to sign up. You have to be a, a member I, a subscriber to HBO Max in order to to do that. Yeah, and obviously they're doing it to drive, uh, you know, their uh, subscribership uh, to to their streaming platform. Um, and uh, look, I, I'm not going to fault them. I'm just glad that some of these big movies are going to go to theater uh, as well as streaming. So I'm not going to see a film like Wonder Woman 1984 on uh, on television. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I want to see that on a big screen, just yeah. like I would want to see any Marvel superhero movie. I want to see it on a big screen. Exactly. Those are spectacular films. Uh, and you want you want to have a much more immersive experience than you would with watching a film like that on your home setup, even if you have a 65, 70 inch uh, flat panel on the wall. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, we, my wife and I were just talking about this as I was discussing my show notes with her. She was like, I, I have to see black widow in a theater somehow and somehow, whether it is a drive in theater or whether it's something, she says, we got to get out of the house. Let's bring the kids. Let's just stay in the car. Let's watch the movie. Let's do something. <laughs> you know, I'll change diapers in the backseat. It doesn't matter. We, yeah. we have to see the Marvel movies in the theater. So, um, yeah, by hook or by crook, I, we're gonna we're gonna do it. I I completely agree. You know, yeah. uh, so but you know, look the the release uh, windows, the the how they're releasing films is completely changing mm-hmm. uh, uh, going forward, and and that's okay. I'm just hopeful that they're going to continue to release these films to movie theaters. Yeah, because yep. I do want to go have that communal experience and watch a film on an IMAX screen or a large you know theater auditorium. Uh, with a great sound system and whatever they need to do to make that experience great for people, which is, you know, blocking off seats, making sure they stay socially distant to make sure that the cleanliness and the, and all that at the theaters is important, you know, make it happen. Just make it happen. Make, Make it clean, make it a great experience. People will come, uh, knowing that they, they're, they're, able to take those precautions just like they are at the parks. You know, it's being proven that they can do it at Disney. They're increasing capacity by 35% at the parks because they've proven they can, they can do it. The industry can do the same. Yeah. And they, they really should have been doing that out here with uh, Disneyland mm-hmm. state of California. doesn't know what the heck they're doing. You yeah. know, well, yeah. uh, honestly, yeah. uh, it's, it's such a shame. It really anyway. is. Hey, so, so we're talking about movies just really quick. You know, Black Panther 2 is set to start filming in the summer of next year, 2021. It's just a few months away, folks. I can't believe it. And that is according to The Hollywood Reporter. You know, the tragic loss of Chadwick Boseman earlier in the year, just if, you know, 2020 had taken so many greats away, including a very young Chadwick Boseman. But uh, they are reportedly working on a sequel. I was at the D23 Expo a couple years ago. Was it now? A couple years or last year? Um when they made the announcement that uh, Ryan Coogler, uh, who'd work worked on um, 
not a rock, uh, Rocky, what was it? Creed, right? Uh, was working on Black Panther 2, uh, which we like, but they're bringing back Letitia Wright, uh, Lupita Nyong'o, Winston Duke, Angela Bassett. So all the original actors, of course, um, you know, are going to come back for this one. But um, they said you know, that they weren't going to be doing any type of weird CGI kind of, you know, posthumously bringing back Chadwick Boseman, which I think is good. I mean, if they were to bring mm-hmm. bring him back in some way to, you know, here's, you know, here's the king and maybe a quick voiceover or whatever, I'm sure it would be okay. But they're not going to do any like in-depth uh, like replacement of, of any actor's face or anything like that. So. Are they going to are they going to recast? Do we know? They had not revealed that at the time of this uh, being published, which was just a couple days ago. Yeah. So, well, listen, Black Panther was such a great movie. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Again, I can't imagine watching that first Black Panther movie at home. No, I mean you have to see that on a big screen. It was I an mean, event. That was just an, a, a, a spectacular film. Um, so good. So you know, again, my argument is always going to be those kinds of films you have to see on a big screen. Right. Right. Well, another thing that is coming to hopefully the big screen will be Deadpool three and uh, Marvel had uh, been teasing Ryan Reynolds had been teasing this, that the final, that finally this Fox franchise of Deadpool with Ryan Reynolds in tow will be coming to the MCU in some way. So the third installment will, will be happening under Marvel studios under uh, Kevin Feige. And it looks to be Dave very controversial, a rated R film. Well, I, you know, Deadpool three, I would not be surprised. And, uh, I love Ryan Reynolds, uh, portrayal of this character. Um, I think the, this is, uh, just, you know, they, they're having fun with it and more power to them. I look forward to it. Yeah. Feige himself says, quote, when Marvel studios purchased by Disney, Bob said to us, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Feige previously told variety. There's no question. Deadpool is working. So why would we want to change it? And uh, who knows? It might be released under the Fox, um, the Fox films banner. I think, what do they call it? 20th century films. So uh, yeah. they may be doing that and maybe having it sectioned off into a uh, coded version of the Disney plus. Uh, we know that they have a lot of movies you and I have talked about, um, that are going to be coming in from basically their, their merger with Fox. Uh, so we'll see, we'll see what happens. Yeah, I'm excited. about some, it. Some of that'll go on to Hulu. Yep. Yep. Exactly. You know, some that, of it will that, be, in that, Hulu. that's all, you know, and, and rightfully so. Right on. Um, right on. Well, I think, I think we've got our guest waiting in the green room. That's right. We're looking so forward to I th- it. I think we should uh, get to it. Skull Rock podcast interview time. Wow. I got to tell you, Al John, we have an incredible guest. I'm honored to call him a friend, and I've known him for many, many years. It's John Canemaker, who's the head of the animation program at NYU in New York City. He is a filmmaker. He's won an Academy Award uh, for uh, one of his films. Uh, He has written a ton of books on animation. Some of my favorites, by the way, like Felix, the twisted tale of the world's most famous cat 
that. And uh, the art and flair of Mary Blair. Two guys named Joe, master animation storytellers, Joe Grant and Joe Ranft. Uh, I mean, and so many others. I, it's just amazing. I want to welcome to the show John Kanemaker. John, how are you? I'm great. Thank you, Dave. Hi, Al John. How you nice doing? To you. Nice to see you. You know, uh, when we were lining up this uh, interview with John for you to come on the show, you sent through some uh, photos of, of animation books. And, and we wanted to talk about animation uh, books uh, that are available out there in the world uh, as potential gifts for people uh, for the holiday season or anytime, really, if you're interested in animation. But you sent a photo of one book that just knocked my socks off because I hadn't looked at my copy in years. It's in a box someplace, but it's animation by Preston Blair. Learn how to draw animated cartoons. And it was one of these paperbacks that you would get. It was, it was published by Walter Foster books and they were all paperbacks. Then they're like large format stapled paperbacks, but it was one of the only animation books out there when I was growing up. It was uh, for a lot of us, I think, you know, interested in animation. I was uh, first introduced to animation by watching the Disneyland TV show and the Walter Lance TV show. And, uh, um, but uh, there was a little art shop in the small town of upstate New York where I came from. And uh, one of the assistants there had two books. And one of them was The Great Art of Walt Disney by Robert D. Field. This was probably one of the first books of the art of, you know, Walt Disney animation. And the other book was the Nat Falk How to Make Animated Cartoons book, which was um, published in 1940, 41. And uh, it was of the main studios at that time. There were about five of them uh, at that time. And uh, uh, that was a, a source of information about not only how to do animation, but about the history of animation. And then, of course, as you mentioned, the great Preston Blair book, which influenced all of us. And that came out, I think, in the 1940s as well. Um, And and he was from a storied family of animation professionals because he was Mary Blair's brother-in-law. That's right. And And, uh, Preston uh, was uh, um, Mary Blair's husband's uh, brother. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's really made. But, you know, you, you, you talk about three animation books, right? Uh, right there. That was it. I mean, there really wasn't a lot of other books out there on animation. I can remember looking for some. And I, I remember when I was in high school, uh, I, I reached out to uh, a company in Culver City, Cartoon Color. Uh, which sold animation supplies. And uh, John, I know you're nodding. You're familiar with the, with that company. It was one of the few yeah. places where you could actually get animation supplies. That's right. uh, and, and, and they had a small selection of books uh, uh, as part of uh, their offerings. But there was also a library in uh, a small town that I was in. And, and the great book of uh, Fantasia, the, the big book that Dean Taylor wrote, was there and, and there were also several smaller books about the making of Fantasia, the different segments. So that also was kind of uh, an impetus to you know to get more into animation, not only technically but also the history of it. So the, it's interesting how these 
these things happen early on in your life and then, you know, continue on to become. And they, and, and they really, they, they, they become an anchor point almost, uh, yeah. a, a real memory. Uh, when you speak of Fantasia, I always go directly to our old friend, John Culhane's uh, Fantasia book. Yeah. Um, and, and not only did he write a, fan, a book on Fantasia, he also wrote the book of Fantasia 2000, which I worked on. Uh, and I had the pleasure of, uh, of meeting him. Fun, funny story. I got to tell you this funny story. I may have told you this before. I'm not sure. But but for our audience, I'll, I'll repeat it again. Um, but uh, when I was working on Fantasia 2000, John Culhane was engaged to write the book on Fantasia 2000 that would come out with the release of the movie. And uh, John came out to Los Angeles and I met with him at the Twin Palms restaurant in Pasadena. Uh, and it was a beautiful setting. Um, and uh, John, one of the first questions John asked me was, uh, you know, how did you get into animation? You know how enthusiastic John was. He was just such the, like the happiest, most enthusiastic guy. Everything he would ask you, he was just over the moon about, you know, and, uh, and effusive. And he said, how did you get into animation? And I said, well, you know, I said, I, um, you know, I took this TV graphics class at, at, a, at a school in New York and it was the first time I did, you know, really sort of animation with my artwork. I had done some stop motion stuff prior to that, but it was the first time I had done some animation with my artwork. And, uh, and I said, and then somebody handed me an article from the New York Times on Cal Arts and the training of, you know, the next generation of artists. And John lit up. He goes, I wrote that article. I wrote, and I was, I was just so amazed by that because, uh, you know, it, you know, it was like full circle. It was like 25 years later, I meet the guy who wrote the article uh, that actually changed my life because that's how I heard about Cal Arts. And I sent my portfolio out and got accepted and went to Cal Arts and then eventually started working for Disney. I mean, it was just one of those crazy moments, you know, uh, but he was such a wonderful guy and very prolific. He was, he was, um, one of the other books that was also an influence back in the 50s was The Art of Animation, the Bob Thomas book. Yes. It was really, as you know, basically a, an advertisement for Sleeping Beauty. But gosh, what a beautiful advertisement it was. I mean, it, it, it had these marvelous color pictures and went into some detail about the making of, of layouts and, and exposure sheets and, and all of that sort of thing that I really not heard about back in the in the early days, but, uh, that was, well, great. I mean, and that's all the stuff that you discover, you know, in these books, uh, as you, as you're developing your interest in, in the art form. There was another book that came out in the late fifties called the technique of film animation, which was by John Hallis and Roger Manville. And this opened up another world in terms of international animation and, uh, UPA, uh, stylized animation, before that, I was mostly interested in, you know, the Disney uh, films. But then this this uh, other book, the Hallis book, got me interested in a, a wider a wider reach. As well. You know, it was interesting when I saw the picture of that book. I, I wasn't familiar with it. That was one of the few books I hadn't seen before. Uh, yeah. Of course, Bob Bob Thomas, uh, Bob Thomas that you mentioned earlier, uh, wrote uh, he wrote his version of the Art of Walt Disney as well. Uh, yeah. One of the early ones. Yes, that's right. Well, uh, that that was it. That was that this one, I think. The uh, the art of animation, right? 
yeah, that's what, well, no, he, he did, uh, he did an art of Walt Disney, I think, uh, or the Walt Disney story. What, there, there was a Bob Thomas. Oh, right. right. Yes. Yeah. It was a biography. That's yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. um, but uh, some wonderful books. I mean, uh, and, and talk about, um, uh, you know, a lot of these books, uh, really, they were few and far between back then. Now, there, there's, there's many of them. Um, I know uh, with, uh, with you, I, you, you wrote about the lost notebooks of Herman Schultzheis and the secrets of Walt Disney movie magic, which to me is one of the more spectacular uh, books out there for people to understand how some of these animation, um, these visuals were created, especially in Fantasia. Yeah. Um, uh, because you look at some of that and like, ha, they didn't have computers. How did they do that? <laughs> exactly. Well, I, I, I think you as a, uh, starting out your career as a special effects person would be particularly interested in that, that book. But, uh, yeah, it, it, it was a fascinating, uh, project to work on. I, I remember, uh, years before that uh, the original Schulteis notebooks came to Howard Lowry, who is the animation historian and, and uh, used to auction off uh, original art for, um, for animation. And he called me and he said, the next time you're out here, you've got to look at these, these notebooks. So I came out and I was like knocked over to see how the effects were made in Pinocchio and Fantasia and Snow White and Dumbo and all of these, they were there. They were laid out with beautiful photographs and charts and, uh, you know, uh, information about it. I said, we've got to do a book on this. So I said, first, I'll write a magazine article about it. So I did for print magazine. And then we started to go to publishers and no one was interested. No one said, well, who is this Schulteis? And <laughs> too niche of a topic, right? Nobody knows who this person is. This yeah. is too niche, right? Exactly. Yeah. Well, just thank goodness for what you're doing with, uh, you know, people like Kim Weber and, and uh, yeah. you know, Oswald the Rabbit and all of that sort of thing that you've been writing about. Thank but you. eventually it was thanks to Diane Disney Miller, who uh, had seen my article on, on uh, Schulteis and said, well, we have this book now. So you know about this. Would you like to do a book on it? And I said, yes. Please. So, so she, bought, she bought the originals from the auction. From Howard, yeah. Yeah, from the Howard. Now, it went to auction and she bought it at auction. I believe so. Or yeah. it might done privately. Or, the, or it was a private sale. And then yeah. once she had them, she asked you to write that book, which is yeah. fantastic. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the same thing with the Mary Blair book. She, uh, she was the one who emphasized that. I was asked to do uh, an exhibit, to curate an exhibit on... Mary Blair's work and Diane said, well, you're going to write something about it too much. <laughs> I said, yes, Diane, of course I am. Yeah. But, uh, she was a marvelous impetus and we really miss, miss her. Oh, absolutely. I mean, she, yes, I, I had met her numerous times over the years. She was a lovely person. And, you know, I, I think what she did uh, with setting up the family museum in San Francisco was really, you know, to document her, her father's legacy, you know, and, uh, and his incredible accomplishments yeah. this lifetime that are still resonating today, which is yeah. amazing. Yeah. yeah. No, it's a great museum and, and uh, you know, they're, they're, trying to do what every museum is doing now is to get through the times that we're in and can bring it all back to normal again, but they're doing well. They're doing uh, webinars and podcasts. And, yeah. And, uh, I think they've even opened up 
certain days, you know, with limited limited visits and stuff. But you know, later on, when I came to New York and started to to work as a as an animation uh, historian, but also as uh, as an animator, there were also some books that were very influential in terms of the history of animation, like Donald Crafton's book Before Mickey. You know, animation from uh, 1898 to 1928. This is very valuable. Uh, stuff goes into Windsor McKay's work. I wrote a book later about Windsor McKay, Felix the Cat, um, J.R. Bray, all of the early pioneers. Um, there was another historian from Britain named uh, Robin Allen who wrote Walt Disney in Europe. Do you know about this one? No, I, I, terrific. No, I really have not looked at that book. It's yeah. a great book. A yeah. great, and it talks about all of the influences from Europe that went into, uh, you know, Disney's films. Um, so and, and I did, I did want to just uh, jump back for one second and, and just let the audience know that uh, Winsor McKay, who is one of the earliest animators, um, you wrote a book in 1987 called Winsor McKay, His Life and Art. Right. And that's still available. Um, yeah, it's uh, been re, uh, reissued by yeah. uh, Focal Press. And the Mary Blair book is also available. All of my other books seem to be, you know, coming back. <laughs> yeah, coming back in the the the, the, the art the art and flair of Mary Blair and appreciation, uh, which is a beautiful book. And you know, I obviously have a copy of that. One of the things I thought was fascinating about that book, and maybe you can just touch on this. Yeah. Um, you uh, were able to pull together uh, examples of her artwork from a lot of different people. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I'm particularly zoning in on Mike Gabriel's paintings. Do, do, oh. you, you, can you talk a little bit about that? Because I think it's just a, it's a fascinating story, and people need to keep their eyes open when they go into shops and antique Absolutely. stores and stuff. Absolutely. Uh, well, I, I was out in California, and uh, the great Howard Green brought me together with a whole bunch of uh, animation people while I was out there. We had lunch. And uh, one of them, Mike Gabriel, was saying, uh, "What? What's the book about?" And I said, "Mary Blair." And he said, "Oh, well, I have a couple of, uh, I have a couple of paintings of, of of her work." And I said, "Well, what are they? What are they like?" And he showed me little snapshots of them. And I said, "Holy moly! This <laughs> this is this is artwork that Mary Blair did for Carmen Miranda's house in Hollywood." And he said, oh, yes, he, he, he knew about he knew about that. And he said that he had been to an auction or he had been to a, you know, a, a, an antique seller. It, it, it was an antique shop in Santa yeah. Barbara. And, uh -huh. and, and they were just kind of wandering through. Yeah. And he he saw just like a corner of something yeah. sticking out from a pile of framed art. He saw yeah corner of it and he went over to look at it and realized what it was. Yeah. Well, I, I, I recognize it because I was good friends. I've been to uh, uh, Rio three times. And when I was down there a couple of times, I became friends with Aurora Miranda, who was in the three Caballeros and was mm -hmm. Carmen's sister. And uh, she had magazine articles and she uh, gave me one of them. And there was a picture of Carmen Miranda's house in uh, Beverly Hills. And, and it had these two paintings there, very small, but boy, when Mike showed me those paintings, I said, that's it. You've got to let me use those in the, in the Mary Blair book. And he did. He was great. He, uh, 
He's a great guy and he's a wonderful artist. He's a Oh, incredible. I mean, absolutely. You know, we've talked about Mike before, Al John, on the show, and we're going to have to get him on as a guest yeah. at some point because he's really one of the most multi-talented artists in the animation field today. I mean, director, production designer, art director, uh, painter, you know, just uh, runs down the, the gamut yeah. of things the guy can do. Animator, think, you know. Yeah. I think to finish up that story that Mike said uh, he bought the first one for very little, but then when he came back to get the second one, <laughs> the uh, owner of the gallery uh, realized something was up and that uh, there was some value to this. So I think the price went up on the, on the second one, but Mike can tell you, Mike can tell you the, the uh, true story of that. But, but I still think he, he got them for a steal. <laughs> I think so. Well, they pay anything for them. They're big. Big picture. Yeah, yeah. They're in the book. <laughs> yeah, they are. Uh, you know, one one book I want to jump to uh, that that's been in print. I think continuously. There's, I think there's a paperback version of it. Is the illusion of life. Uh, Frank, yes. Frank Thomas and Ollie Johnson's really, it's considered the Bible of animation, isn't it? I mean, yeah, it's fantastic. It's, it's so great because they're, they're talking about history, but they're also talking about their history too. And how they as artists developed in this studio during the 1930s and, and into the features and, and doing the things that made personality animation, what it is, what it still is today because of what they did. And they invented it. They they absolutely invented it. And the people that they trained with, the mentors there, the earlier nine old men, which would be Bob Iwerks and Art Babbitt and Phil Teitler and Norman Ferguson, they all and, and Fred, Fred Moore uh, would be included in that that group, yeah. I think. Grim yeah. um, uh, Nathwick. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think when I look at that book, cause I have a well-worn copy I bought, I bought, you know, it, it uh, when it originally uh, the, the first publishing of that. Um, and I actually have a lot of the guys have signed it uh, in the early years. But uh, when I look at that book, to me, that's the first time somebody inside the Disney animation organization actually documented completely the whole Disney animation process. Yeah, the creative process. It's, it's, it's true. I have a little story about when the book was in working and when it was completed. Um, you know, I, I say to a lot of animators uh, when I interview them, I think you ought to do a book. And I said that to you, Dave. I know you have <laughs> many times, actually. <laughs> the books you've done are, are great, you and Nancy, but I think you should be doing a book about you know, uh, special effects, because, you know, and then, you know, get all that interesting stuff that you worked on as well. But anyway, I told Frank and Ollie when they were working, you know, not working on the book, but I started to interview them in around 1973. I said, boy, you guys should do a book. And I didn't know that it resonated. But then when Frank signed my book, he wrote, he said, well, here you are. He said, you're the one who told us to do this. I hope you're <laughs> I hope you're happy for what you did or something like that. that that's such a great story and, and kudos to you for suggesting it to them because, because it really has influenced, you know, an entire, actually several generations of artists since it yeah. came out. Yeah. Um, uh, it really has. And I often tell people, you know, who, uh, you know, when, when, when I'm asked, you know, you know how, how can I learn more about animation? You know, are there any books out there? The, first book I always tell people get the illusion of 
Life by by uh, Frank Thomas and Ollie Johnson yeah. because that is the Bible for animation, regardless of whether you're doing hand-drawn, stop-motion, or computer-generated. The principles of animation in there really apply to any animation art form. And it's more than just the mechanics. It's about how they thought about making these characters into personalities and how the characters, how they got the characters to express emotions. I mean, that's really, to me, it's a very warm, heartfelt book. And I, I really uh, love it very much. Yeah. You know, you met, you mentioned Ub Iwerks um, and his son, Don Iwerks, uh, just put out uh, um, a book about his father, uh, about the genius of Ub Iwerks and, yeah. and sort of chronicling. I don't know if you've seen that. Um, no, I haven't. I'd love to. That, that came out this year uh, and, and is available. Um and it's a gorgeous book. I wish I had it handy here for the exact title, but... Huh. I know we'll find that in a moment. Yeah, yeah. What other books do you love on animation? Uh, well, I, I admire several books that my fellow historians have done. Uh, J.B. Kaufman, his incredible research and wonderful writing about the Snow White uh, film and Pinocchio and the mm -hmm. South American films. And, of course, uh, Michael Barrier is a pioneer in, in interviewing people in the 1970s who had been you know, the, the, the pioneers of this, I mean, Michael is, is really a great chronicler of the, the whole history, and he did uh, a wonderful biography, really probably one of the best biographies of Walt Disney, plus the Hollywood cartoons book, American Animation in Its Golden Age. Just uh, wonderfully researched and, and, uh, and well thought out and very um, uh, acerbic, uh, opinionated uh, feelings about the history of animation, which is really what we, you know, what we need. There's also an Italian um, historian, Gian uh, um, Alberto Bendazzi, who wrote a book just called Cartoons, which has been uh, reissued into three books uh, that I, I believe is being uh, sold right now. And if you go to Amazon about that, and of course, my friend Charles Solomon has written so many wonderful books, including a history of American animation, yeah. uh, The Enchanted Drawing, but his new book, is absolutely uh, sumptuous. It's the Wolf Walkers uh, book, The Art of the Wolf Walkers. And I highly recommend it because Charles goes into, he's a historian as well and, and has so many interests that he brings those into his writing about the, the history of animation. So I highly recommend that. But I'm also thrilled about, you know, your books and getting into, you know, the history of Oswald, the, <laughs> The Lucky Rabbit and... and okay, shameless plug ching, for ching. my book. <laughs> well, <I> <laughs> the plugs. <laughs> shameless plugs. And you did... No, but thank you. I, I appreciate that. You used uh, uh, videos in, in some of your... Some of your uh, oh, you have the yes, that's the uh, Dolly and Disney Destino that actually has the movie embedded in it. I know. Now you told me that is it true that they are working on making a video for pages of books? Is that right? Well, you know something. A number of the electronic manufacturers out there, LG and Sony and people like that, have been experimenting with um, a flexible. Um, OLED screen uh, mm -hmm. that is as thin as a heavy piece of uh, paper. 
uh-huh. uh, that, you know, I envision you could actually at some point embed those into a book. So uh-huh. as you're going through a book, you could come to a page that you could activate uh, and watch a clip of animation or an example of something that was written about in the text. Who is doing that, Dave? You know, nobody's done it in a book yet like that. Uh, In fact, my Dolly and Disney uh, Destino book that has the movie embedded in it uh, Mm -hmm. is is the first of its kind that we know of. Uh, And I think there may still be some copies left. They did a limited run of that book. And uh, I know, uh, you know, it's a lot of people are just wowed when I uh, when I go out and speak about Destino, I often bring a copy copy and will tell the story about how when I was writing that book, I always had it in the back of my mind. I wanted people to see Destino. Mm-hmm. And like, here's the book, here's the whole backstory, how this thing got made, the story of the relationship of Salvador Dali and Walt Disney and John Hench and Bob Cormack and all of these people. And I wanted people to see the final movie. So if you read the story behind the film, you got to see the film. And so I actually made a prototype uh, thanks to a colleague that was a a display expert in the Imagineering division. Uh, We got together. I told him what I wanted to do and he figured out how to put it together. And we, we made this sort of kludge together um, prototype and uh, and I shot a little uh, uh, video on my iPhone, uh, basically uh, saying I want to do this new type of book. And I I, ha- I had a mock up of my book, and I open it, and the movie's playing in the book, and it was less than 60 seconds. And I emailed that to the publisher and I got a call like five or 10 minutes later going, Oh my God, we have to do this. You know? (laughs) And it took about two years because they had to actually put a manufacturing process in place Mm -hmm. to to figure out how they could put all these components together into a book. And, and and by the way, Disney did submit a patent application on this whole thing. I, I haven't heard if, if it'll ever get approved or not or what, but it, 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 it reminds me of what they do at um, one of the exhibits for the Showtime book up at the uh, Disney Family Museum in San Francisco. That, as you know, it's under a glass, mm-hmm. the, the book itself, but there's also a video component mm-hmm. in which you can uh, go into uh, you know, digitized uh, pages. You can bring them up closer. You can then click on something else and the movie starts to run. So I hope that's something that. Uh, comes to fruition for yeah I you know something I, I I definitely think that the sky's the limit on what you can do with the book and, and you know the wonderful thing about that I think is that you still have this tactile experience of holding a nice book mm-hmm. uh, and you're not necessarily plugged in you know the movie that's embedded in the Destino book, it's a closed system. There's no Wi-Fi or anything like that. It's it's embedded on a chip and there's a play button and a little speaker and there's also a headphone jack too. But you can go through that book and and then you can watch this beautiful six minute short, uh, um, you know, anytime you want. 
the the battery's rechargeable. Uh, but other than that, you could walk any you go sit out in your backyard if you want to, or on the balcony and and, and be able to to watch this or read. I think that's kind of, you know, to me, uh, it's that hybrid of when you're reading something, boy, wouldn't you, especially when you're reading film books, wouldn't you like to see a clip <laughs> yes. here and there, you know? It sounds to me like it would be a natural, even without sound, for Oswald, you know? Yeah, I, I absolutely um, had talked to uh, publishing about um, uh, doing a special edition version uh, where we had a player and we could have all the surviving cartoons mm-hmm. uh, on, you know, embedded so that you could press press you know a button and play a you know, Oswald cartoon. Oh. Uh, but uh, that wasn't going to be. They did a special edition, but uh, they opted to put six uh, lithographs in an envelope mm-hmm. on the back cover. Mm-hmm. So I think that would have sold out. By the way, I think it would have sold out quickly. Yeah. So and, and, and you know, in, in a sense, when you when you talk about publishing and adding video component <laughs> to it, it, it's almost like you know the whole DVD market's kind of gone away anyway. You know, now everybody's streaming everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this this to me is a way of uh, of putting some rare material, you know, in, into a book that you can keep on your shelf and look at anytime you want. Yeah. Well, I don't yeah. know. But anyway, um, that uh, I, I and thank you for mentioning some of my books. I do appreciate it. But there's there's a lot of other great books out there. I know you know Mindy Johnson's Ink and Paint book is, oh. is a terrific book, and oh. she she copiously you know documents um, uh, the that whole ink and paint process at Disney, which was an art form in and of itself, and had some amazing art, art artistic talent involved. Um, yes, there, there are other women uh, authors as well. There's Jane Pilling in, in England who's written about women in animation. There's uh, um, Maureen Furness who teaches, I believe, at CalArts. She's done some some books on the, um, the history of animation. So it's, uh, it's a, a field that uh, really is ripe for, you know, the contributions of women to, to animation. Yeah. One wrote her own book back back in the 1950s, and that was Lottie Reiniger, who uh, did silhouette films in the 1920s. And she wrote a a book about her technique of of, uh, doing silhouettes and how it was done, a little bit of her own history. She's quite a pioneer in that she she actually created uh, one of the first animated features, which was Prince Ahmed in 1926, with Multiplane. She and her husband put a multiplane uh, contraption together to get depth into uh, into the film back in 1926. So there's a lot of uh, interesting. There's a lot of great techniques out there. I, you know, I think the uh, when when you know I go every year and and look at the uh, uh, short submissions for the Motion Picture Academy, and uh, there there's a lot of terrific shorts and a lot of terrific animation techniques being done all around the world. Um, and, and I find that to be fascinating and refreshing to be able yeah. to see that uh, that artist that painted on glass out of Russia. Uh, yes, yes, uh, Northstein. Yeah, I mean, it's absolutely beautiful. Or, or Frederick Box films up in Canada. Um, uh, each one of which is is like a masterpiece to me. You know, 
And uh, William Moritz wrote about Fischinger, had a wonderful biography of, of uh, Oscar Fischinger, who was so uh, inspiring to abstract animation filmmakers. And, and work, I worked at Disney um, Brief. uh, br briefly uh, on Fantasia. <laughs> I, don't think he, I don't think he fit into the corporate mold there, you know. He was a fierce independent animator and uh, <laughs> lasted about nine months on Fantasia, but influenced the film. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. The yeah. and Fugue section. Yeah. Takata and Fugue. That's it. Yeah. Um, what other books do you like? Well, I, I was going to mention this anyway, but I really like your Kim Weber book. <laughs> Another shameless plug. All right. I want to tell our audience, uh, I did not pay John to do this. Thank you, John. <laughs> it checks in the mail, John. Yeah. No, I think it's, it's elegantly put together. It's as elegant as the... Um, as the furniture that uh, Kim Weber put together for the Disney studio. I mean, beautifully designed by my wife, Nancy. Right. And, and by the way, paperback version is available now. Uh, it, it's just come out in paperback. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, but uh, aside from my books, uh, there's there's a lot of other great books out there, uh, and, and and I'm I don't know about you, I I've got books on you know just books and books all around my house. I mean, I've got so many books and I'm one of these people that I see a book and go, oh, I need to read that book. And I buy it. And then I wind up having this pile of books that I need to, to read yeah. through. Um, well, I think Don Crafton has uh, a couple of other books besides the um, Before Mickey book that sh uh, should be read. And one is called Shadow of a Mouse. Mm -hmm. And it's a terrific book about performance in animation and, uh, you know, origins of the performance performance art and animation. He also uh, did a biography of Emile Cole, who was the first real artist in animation, started making films in 1908. Mm. Um, quite, uh, quite an influence and um, popularizing animation, not only in Europe, but also in America, because he came here to work in Fort Lee, New Jersey on uh, an American series uh, as well. There, there's also uh, there, there's a, a book out on the Fleischer Studios, um, Max Fleischer and his brother Dave Fleischer, uh, which, which is, uh, um, I think, fascinating from that, that 1920s, uh, 30s time period uh, when animation was really fairly prolific as far as uh, experimentation and people trying to do different things. And there's also some peripheral uh, uh, peripheral uh, subjects um, that don't deal directly with animation. But, uh, for example, the, um, uh, the book uh, Composing Pictures by uh, Don uh, Graham, who was the teacher of animation during the 1930s at the Disney Studio. It has one little chapter on Disney in the book, but it's mostly about um, uh, structure of images and the power of some images and, and uh, light and shadow and all sorts of interesting subjects, which he must have taught at the studio at that particular time. But there he has his own book, Composing Pictures, which has been made into a paperback. It was out of print for many years. And he he taught at uh, Chouinard Art Institute, didn't he? He was yeah. just there by, uh, by Disney. He would send his artists... He would drive his artists in the 1920s over to Chouinard, and that's how he met uh, uh, Graham at that time. So, and, and for our audience, uh, Chouinard Art Institute, which which really was a preeminent uh, um, uh, art 
uh, school in Los Angeles that a lot of the Disney artists went through, um, it eventually uh, morphed into CalArts today. Yes, uh, and and Walt was a huge uh, supporter of Chenard and was really the the founder, if you will, of CalArts. There's a book that I'd like to do, actually a couple of books, but uh, I, I already did a version of um, the one I want to do. I'd like to do a formal biography of Bill Teitler. And, uh, oh, yeah. Uh, this is a brochure for a gallery exhibit of his artwork that I curated back in the 90s. And uh, I'm rather proud of the, the text on this because it does capsulize his, you know, encapsulates his whole career in a very uh, short period. But he had such a massive influ influence on character animation. I think he deserves a book of his own. Oh, absolutely. I, you know something? I, I think that's true about a number of, uh, of the uh, greats uh, from the studio in the early days. I mean, there needs to be a book on Fred Moore, yeah, uh, well, and I, I know somebody's working on that, right? Jenny, Jenny LaRue is working on Great. on the book on Fred Moore, and it's going to be terrific. Gonna be, I've seen a little bit of it. Yeah. Um, By the way, what? I have to tell you uh, guys, uh, John, I've been making notes, and we're going to have some of your work, and your, your writing uh, has been very prolific. So uh, we're going to have our listeners look at some of those links uh, that I'm going to put in the show notes as well, and not just of your books, but your recommendations as well. Um, I, I, I think it's a, I think it's absolutely amazing. And by the way, your nine old men book, John, that you, you released a, a while back, boy, the hardcover is hard to come by <laughs> by now. Wow. Um, yeah. So uh, if you're interested, you can get, I believe I can find, I found a first edition um, on Amazon that's available for quite a pretty penny, but it is worth getting um, because <laughs> it's a, uh, it's uh, it's really cool. You can get it brand new for over a hundred bucks. So be sure you can get that. <laughs> I did a, uh, speaking of the nine old men book, I did a webinar with uh, Glenn Keane just uh, the day before yesterday on his new film, you know, yeah. over, over the moon. Yeah. A great, a great interview. And uh, I remember him writing me a note when the nine old men book came out because he studied you know, he was mentored by Eric Larson and, and uh, Ollie Johnston in particular. And he said uh, in the note, he said, I got your new book. I was going to get to it later, but then you ruined a whole afternoon of my working on whatever film. <laughs> you know, I, I, you know, I kept reading chapter after chapter after chapter. Yeah. Dick Williams was a great help on that book to me, by the way. Okay. He was, he was uh, in the works uh, doing his own book, which has a lot in it about Milk Call, but he generously gave me notes. He, he gave me a, a very um, detailed interview about Milt, and, and he, he just was a, a very generous guy, Dick, Dick You know, I, I had the pleasure. I his had... Um, yeah, I mean his his book uh, um, on the yeah Richard Williams the animation survival kit is, is again I, I mean I think you can look at that as being another bible of animation and mm -hmm. and he really to me I have to say John I knew Richard Williams I worked with him on Who Framed Roger Rabbit over in London uh, and uh, he was an animator's animator. Uh, he 
to me, was probably the greatest living animator um, uh, that was still around uh, over the last 10 years or so, in my mind, Mm -hmm. um, uh, until he passed away. We lost him last year, was it? In, in 2019, but but really an incredible talent. I I can remember him talking about how he would he would go into Soho Square and sit on a bench and just watch people, watch the different walks people did, uh, and was just inspired by that kind of you know everyday occurrence. Well, he um, I got to know him because of my first book, which was the animated Raggedy Ann and Andy, and. Uh, Dick was extraordinarily uh, helpful in the making of this this book. Uh, very generous in terms of of uh, helping me get pictures and and uh, you know animation art, uh, etc. Um, he was generous to a fault. I mean, just uh, in just giving and instructing and uh, uh, and there's a video series, by the way, or a DVD series on his um, uh, animation survival kit. Oh, really? Yeah, I, I know that that was being sold uh, for a number of years uh, prior to his passing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I hope it's still available out there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, some great books. You know, another book I wanted to to mention, and I, I'm not sure if you're familiar with it. You probably are. Dream Worlds, Production Design for Animation by Hans Bacher. Yes. Uh, I think Hans is such a great guy. He's a... Uh, I, I think he lives now in the Philippines, but he's originally from Germany and he worked at Disney. I worked with him for a number of years at Disney. Um, we were in different areas, but you know, I knew him uh, at the studio, but that's a wonderful book for anybody interested in production design. Yeah. I think he's got a couple of books. Uh, I interviewed him for, uh, I think it was the um, book I did on concept art and, uh, or might've been the storyboard book that I did. But uh, he was, a, an, again, a, a very interesting artist and also a, a wonderful interview. Yeah, he, he's got a book called Sketchbook, uh, Composition Studies for Film. And he has another one, Vision, Color and Composition for Film. Um, really uh, an incredible uh, uh, artist uh, and, and just all around nice guy. Funny guy, too. A very witty individual. And Frank and Ali did more than... The uh, uh, Illusion of Life book, they did a book on villains, they did a book on Bambi, they did a book called Too Funny for Words, which is a terrific book about gags. Yeah, the Bambi book is a beautiful book. It's a yeah. really a gorgeous book that they yeah, put together. Some, Ted has wanted for years to uh, do their, the, the version that they wanted to do. The book that was published cut their book in half because there's more interesting anecdotes and, and uh, things about the making of Bambi that they had ready to go. But the, the publisher apparently decided to do the first part of the book as telling the story of Bambi and then the second part about how it was made. But Ted had always, uh, Ted Thomas always wanted to, um, you know, get that second part published. And I, I hope it, someday he might be able to do that. Yeah, no, that that would be pretty fantastic. Um, there's another series of books that uh, I I particularly enjoy because they they put the spotlight on on people that we normally don't hear about very often, and those are the uh, they drew as they pleased. 
by Didier Gares. I don't, I, I don't know if you've seen those. He's got six volumes out, but each one touches on a different period in, in Disney animation history and focuses on, I think, some of the lesser uh, uh, known artists, uh, but, but uh, puts a spotlight on them, rightfully so, because a lot of talented people that had worked at Disney over the years that some people aren't familiar with those names. Didier is a wonderful historian, and uh, he's done a number of books. He did a book on uh, Walt Disney's Grand Tour. Yes. In 1935, when he and his brother and his wife and their wives went to Europe, and uh, how that influenced the studio by bringing back all these small or beautiful illustrated children's books from Europe that influenced the films. And you can, uh, you know, read about that in Didier's, uh, uh, you know, book on that subject. Yeah, yeah. I, um, uh, you know, the the other uh, book that jumps to mind, too, is Before Ever After, The Lost Lectures of Walt Disney's Animation Studios, which is really uh, a beautiful book put together by Don Hahn and Tracy uh, Miller. Uh, yeah. uh, and, and it's... Uh, uh, it's all those old lectures that they used to do in, internally at the studio, and they were all documented. and And Don and Tracy were able to to gather all, all those together and 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 put together. The, it's two volumes too, uh, which is pretty amazing. There's also Walt Stanchfield's yes uh, drawing books. There's two volumes of them. Yeah. His lectures on technique of drawing for animation that he did yeah. at the studio for. A couple of decades, I guess. Uh, I, I I remember I remember him doing those classes. And Walt Stanchfield was was such a wonderful guy. I remember uh, uh, anytime I saw him, and when I hear his name, you know how you you have this impression of a person. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know, when you think of somebody, you think of you know they're a certain way. I anytime I hear Walt Stanchfield's name, I always envision the guy in his tennis outfit because I saw him so many times in white tennis shorts and a floppy hat and uh, in the book uh, with, with that. Outfit. Yes. Yes. He, he was an avid tennis player and he used to play tennis during lunch and, uh, you know, uh, leave, I think, uh, early, you know, mid afternoon, uh, go off and, and have a game of tennis. So also Seamus Colhane's uh, autobiography, his career in animation, which was quite extensive, from the silent days through Fleischer, through the Disney studio, uh, and then his own studio in the 1940s and 50s doing uh, commercials. Yeah, and you know, it's interesting, uh, we mentioned John Colhane. Now, Seamus Colhane was John's cousin. Uh, uh, if I'm correct, and you're nodding, so you know, yes. Uh, uh, and Seamus Colhane was, uh, again, uh, not a household name, but uh, somebody who really had an extensive career in the animation industry and uh, worked on Fantasia, the original 1940 Fantasia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, there's just, uh, and, and you know, I don't think there's any shortage of stories to write about that haven't been covered yet because there's still many more things that need to be written about, need to be covered um, and documented for posterity uh, before it's lost to time. Well, what's happening now, you know, the changes that are going on in technique and, and the new young artists that are coming up, there's a, you know, there's a lot of history being made now that needs to be 
uh, captured in some way, and hopefully it'll be in print and and. Uh, I, I absolutely hope so. <laughs> well, I'm glad we're capturing uh, it on this podcast because now we have a document, a documentary of of, of the different things that uh, you all enjoy, and uh, hopefully our our listeners will be able to check a lot of that stuff out. Good. I I think there needs to be more on Felix the cat. I love Felix the cat. I know John, you wrote the book on Felix the cat. Uh, I have to tell you, I remember watching those Felix the cat cartoons on the independent television stations in the New York area. Um, there was um, uh, we we had. Uh, uh, Channel Nine, Channel Five, and Channel Eleven. In, in, yeah, in the New York tri-state area, when they were really independent and they used to have their own. I remember watching uh, Officer Joe Bolton uh, had an afternoon show where he played cartoons, mm. uh, and there was uh, a Captain Jack who who did a lot of the Popeye cartoons on on the uh, independent. Oh, look at this! Al John has so. a Felix the Cat guitar. <laughs> Yes. What? So, um, you know, uh, John, you don't know this, but Dave, you do. Um, I, I, I work in the guitar business and I make guitars and I also collect guitars. So Felix the Cat, uh, one of my wife and I's favorite, uh, other than Mickey, of course, Mickey's number one, Felix would be close second. <laughs> so I know that you work uh, tremendously and have uh, written about Felix. And so I thought I'd bring this out of the archives just to show you the Felix wow. the Cat limited edition acoustic guitar. Make that? I did not. This was actually limited edition um, sometime, I think, in the early 2000s, signed by Don Aurelio. Um, but uh, yeah, this is actually made by the Martin Guitar Company. So we wow. ended up picking it up well it's out of tune it's out of tune but uh um it's a really nice you know kind of a student guitar and uh it's a lot of fun to to mess around with but uh yeah he signed the label and everything which is really nice but i thought i'd bring this out to you because of your work with felix so there you go just such a terrific uh, character, you know. Oh, this John, is so John, wonderful. you know that in Los Angeles, there's Felix Chevrolet. Have you have you seen the 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 Chevrolet dealer with the big Felix head on yeah. it? I think in my book, there's a photograph of it, but it's been there since I think the twenties. Did, did the the guy that owns the Chevrolet dealer license that like in perpetuity, and so he can always use it for the Chevrolet dealer? And also, there's that little clock that. The tail goes back and forth. And yes. Back and forth. And, and the eyes move back and forth. Yeah, yeah. Wrong since the old days as well. <laughs> I wish I had it's one of those fantastic. clocks. It's the, those are classic, the Felix oh, the Cat clocks. Oh, you can still buy those clocks. Yeah, right? I need they, to. They still, they're still making them. Uh, they're fantastic. Yeah, I got to get a Felix the Cat clock as well as another Felix the Cat guitar. And uh, they, they had done a limited run of those. <laughs> oh, they, oh, wow. Look That's at classic. that. Wow. <laughs> doll from the 1920s oh my and it's goodness. got the articulating limbs yeah oh that's amazing wow. that oh, that's is amazing. incredible that is something else wow i love it i love it I, it's such a great character you know when i think of crazy <laughs> uh when i think of felix the cat i think of crazy cat and ignats yeah uh uh the george it was george herman uh did those uh i mean just really some wonderful wonderful stuff there is there is no shortage of 
animation related books out there, my friends, I have to tell you. And, and it really is a perfect gift, I think, for the holiday season is to give books. Um, there, there's and out of print ones. Yeah, out of print ones, which you can actually still get. Yeah. I think, you know, one of the things I've been trying to tell people, um, uh, especially during the pandemic, is, you know, contact your local bookstore. They're doing curbside pickup. They're, you know, these independent bookstores really need our help right now. Um, and the other nice thing uh, that you can do, if you were looking for an out of print book, you can usually find them on Amazon and you can purchase them from an independent uh, bookstore Love it. Uh, yep. who are putting them up on the Amazon marketplace. So, you know, really, if you can try and support your local um, uh, independent bookstore. John, I remember recently in the last couple of weeks, there, there was a nice article about the Strand bookstore in New York City. Uh, and they, they were struggling and they had a layoff staff and they put a plea out in a news, uh, local news are, uh, uh, segment. And around the block. Yeah. And, and uh, the owner said they went from doing a few hundred uh, online orders a day to 25,000 yeah. online orders. And they, they hired staff back. And, awesome. and, and, you know, these independent bookstores, they just need a little boost. And you can usually get a pretty good deal on the books as well. Um, you know, they're, most of these bookstores are doing some kind of discounting. Uh, but you're getting that personal service and you're helping your independent bookstore, your local businesses. And we need to all try and do a little bit of that during this, uh, this pandemic, during this, this crazy crisis that's wreaking economic havoc on so many people. Mm -hmm. So support local. That's important. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, again, I'll step off my soapbox now uh, (laughs) and just say, uh, John, uh, Last words. What what would you like to say uh, to our audience about books and and, and all of that? Uh, what well, we can get out of books with animation. I think because you know I love books. I I love the physical quality of books, uh, and I I just think they are you know they open up worlds. They open worlds up for me when I was a kid. They're still opening up worlds, um, and uh, you know one thing leads to another, just starting with one subject, you read something about it, you want to find out about it, go to Google, but then get more information through books and, and uh, information that way. So I, I encourage you to continue buying books. What is, let me ask you this as, a, as parting words here, and I know this may be a tough question, but if a kid came up to you today and said, I really want to learn about animation, what's the one book that you would recommend and say, get this book because this will teach you the process? That's a very difficult question. I know. I said I wasn't going to make it easy for you. I told you it was going to be a tough question. (laughs) Not answer it by giving him one book. I would give him an array of books and say, there's so many genres in terms of, you know, the techniques and there's so many, uh, you know, uh, uh, artists, there's so many studios, there's so many techniques of, of drawing and animating that you need to see these these books as, as essential. And I wouldn't want to, you know, just do one. You can't do one. Nope. Yeah. 
I, 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 I respect, I respect that. You? <laughs> that comes from the you professor know, cane maker. I, you know, this is what I, he's saying. I have to say, you know, I, I, I would sit there if you want to learn the technique of animation in the style of Disney or, um, feature animation, I, I would point people to uh, Frank and Ollie's The Illusion of Life. Uh, I'd also point them to Richard Williams' Animation Survival Kit. Um, I think those two books, uh, to me, as far as the, the technique uh, and, and understanding the process of animation because animation is a process and there's so many different disciplines in it. I think those books give, give great overview for, for animation. Uh, but, but again, there's so many uh, books and if somebody was, you know, usually when people ask me, you know, what would you recommend? I always say, well, what are you interested in? Are you interested in doing animation? Are you interested in backgrounds? Are you interested in special effects? Because depending on what their interest is, you know, you could recommend, you know, three, four or five books uh, for each of those disciplines. But you just answered what I said. There, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, John Canemaker, uh, an incredible artist, uh, Academy Award winning filmmaker, uh, historian, a teacher, an author, a renaissance man. That's right. Uh and, and I'm and like I said at the beginning, I'm honored to call you a friend. I visit with John anytime I'm in New York. And I'm sorry you're not going to be coming in this. Uh... You know something? I I have to tell you, my mother is turning ninety on New Year's Day, oh. and I've booked a trip to come in because I wanted to be with her for her 90th birthday. But I will tell you right now, it's completely on the fence. Uh, I'm not going to commit. I mean, I have the ticket, but I'm not going to say I'm going to be in New York at New Year's because I may not be. And my mother completely understands. She, she wants me to come, but she also knows that if things get even worse, like they are right now, and if that continues for the next month, then I probably won't be in. But uh, and even if I do come in, John, I will let you know. But we're not going to see each other. No, but we can always zoom. We can always go. zoom. That's it. I can zoom with you uh, from New, from New York. Uh, we'll always anyway. have Paris. We'll always have Zoom. That's right. But I will look forward to seeing you in person at one of the fabulous uh, eateries that we usually meet up at in New York City sometime next year, probably the second half of next year, once the vaccine is out there and everybody is, is getting inoculated. Thank you for inviting me today. Thank, Thank you, you, John. Always a pleasure. We'll see you soon. Wishing you the best holidays. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving and all. as well and your families. Thank you. Thank See you. you. It's a pleasure. I'm Kristen Hetzel, vacation planner, world traveler, Disney foodie, and theme park fan. I'm Al John Go. I'm the husband who's also Disney, Star Wars, and Marvel Comics fan. And together, we host the Disney List podcast. Every week, you'll hear us list our favorite things about Disney theme parks, films, shows, travel, Marvel, and Star Wars in a top 10 list rankings and more that's an impressive list subscribe to the disney list podcast on spotify apple podcast iHeartRadio, or your favorite podcast platform you can even stream us on source radio at srsounds.com and check out our live shows on facebook the disney list podcast visit the disneylist.com skull rock podcast
some real user power. Your weekly immersion into all things Disney. What a great interview. What can I say, Dave? You've got awesome friends, and it's so great that you can bring them on the show to talk about books and, and so much more. You know, I, I, you know, again, I have to say I love John Canemaker. He's such a, an immense talent. I mean, just a wonderful individual uh, and so talented uh, as an artist, a filmmaker, a writer, a uh, historian. And I, I just enjoy getting together with him anytime I go to New York. Um, you know, we always we always wind up, you know, squeezing in a breakfast or a lunch. Uh, and, uh, and just have a wonderful time just chatting, uh, you know, chatting about, you know, things that we enjoy, you know, animation history. And, and, and what's great about John is, is that he, he just, you know, has such a wide perspective on, on animation. It's not just Disney. It's, you know, a, a, it runs the gamut. I and, love it. Yeah. And and that it was so so good to talk to him and such great books that were, uh, you know, we we were mentioning there and I I just wanted to squeeze in uh, uh, we we briefly touched on Don Iwerks book about his father Ub the title of that book is Walt Disney's Ultimate Inventor the genius of Ub Iwerks and that actually came out. Um, uh, earlier this year, and it, it's an incredible book. It really documents some of the in, amazing inventions that Ub Iwerks came up with. Uh, awesome. And, and just documents uh, uh, his father's work, uh, you know, Don's, Don's father. You know, uh, Ub, uh, everybody's familiar with Ub. Ub's two sons, Don and Dave I, Iwerks, both worked at uh, the studio. And uh Ub's granddaughter uh, is uh, Leslie Iwerks. Yes, right. Uh, and Leslie uh, is a documentarian and has done uh, some amazing uh, documentaries. Uh, 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 you know, a lot of it touching on Disney. Yes, uh, and you can see some of her stuff on uh, Disney Plus. That's right. So, um, I just wanted to give a shout out on that book because I thought it was really a, a, a terrific book. Man, I love it. Um, They're absolutely yeah, great. I, there, there's just so many great books out there. Um, I have to say, uh, so many great books on on animation. I want to give another shout out to uh, a friend of mine. Uh, he's an author, Todd James Pierce, uh, and he wrote a book called Three Years in Wonderland: The Disney Brothers, C.V. Wood and the making of the great American theme park. Uh, and I have to tell you, I, I tore through that book. It's very well written, very well researched, and is a great uh, background on how Disneyland actually came to be. It's, it's hair-raising when you read it. There, there's some moments in there where you're thinking, oh my gosh, that actually happened, you know? Uh, so really wonderful books out there for the holiday season. I hope people uh, will at least put a few of these books onto their, their shopping list for, for either themselves or for somebody they know who's really interested in animation. Absolutely. And uh, let's not forget, and by the way, we'll, we'll put the three years in Wonderland book in there in the show notes. Um, we're going to have an entire list of books that uh, we recommend as well as uh 
you know, we'll put in John's recommendations, John Keymaker, and put a link to his website too, so you can check out all the books and everything that, that John has accomplished over time. But we'll also put a link in there, not only for those books, but also Dave's books, because ah. uh, you know, 3D Disneyland. <laughs> Uh, like you've never seen it before it come out I got my copy in the mail Chris and I just uh, just tore through it wonderful package and it is it came in mint condition so thank you Dave thank you very my much my pleasure my pleasure that's one of the uh, one of the benefits of uh, co-hosting a podcast with me Al John okay you're going to occasionally get a free book okay I, I appreciate that <laughs> yes uh, and I definitely do suggest uh, you check out the Old Mill Press there all the books are available there and we'll have a link to it in the show notes because it is the season of gifting and what better way to uh, to really share your love um of all things Disney with those fans uh, in your household or your extended family uh, and friends, those awesome coffee table books. Al John, I just want to wish all of our listeners a wonderful, happy Thanksgiving. Please be well, stay safe out there. Remember after Thanksgiving, after you've enjoyed that meal and given thanks, the next day is the kickoff of the holiday season. And if you're going to do some shopping, I hope you do it online. There's plenty of books we talked about today. So uh, get, go at it, do it safe, stay well. And Next week, our next show, we're going to have composer Bruce Broughton on to talk Disney, Parks Music, Fantasia, Fantasia 2000. We are, I'm just so looking forward to chatting with him. He's such a terrific individual. Thanks for being with us, folks. Al John, it's all yours. All right. Thank you, Dave. Be safe, as Dave said. Have a great Thanksgiving holiday. Be safe, and we'll see you next time. I'm Al John Goh, co-host of the Disney List podcast as heard on Sorcerer Radio, as well as Skull Rock podcast here with my wife, Kristen. Hello. Hello. You are an earmarked agent who books Disney travel, vacations for people all the time. Give our listeners a reason why they want to give you a call instead of just booking a trip by themselves. Well, I can do all of the legwork for them. I have expertise. I've been to the Disney parks well over a hundred times so they've got that knowledge at their hand as well as it saves them time and money where can people get in touch with you so that they can book their next disney cruise disney park trip adventures by disney they can contact me at theme parks and cruises at gmail.com